ever wonder what parenting is really like? Do you think that you're the only one that's struggling? Or have you missed out on that amazing hack everyone was talking about? Well, that sounds like you. Grab a seat and get comfy, as you'll be hearing real-life stories from parents that are on the same collective journey, a little thing called parenthood. We'll hear from parents, caregivers, and experts as we fumble through this wonderful path together. I'm your host, Rashida, and welcome to the Parents Connecting Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're airing part two of my conversation with Karen Hall, who is, just as a reminder, a life coach, an author, and an entrepreneur. And in part one, we talked about the highly sensitive person, the HSP, and how that affected her childhood and how she learned to harness really that deep level of empathy and her feelings Um, but also how it challenged her and her marriage relationship at times. And it's a really great episode. So if you haven't already listened to it, I really encourage you to go back and listen to it because this is just a continuation of that conversation, pretty much right where we left off. Um, Today, we're going to get deeper into topics of how she raised her kids and things that were really important uh, to instill in her children. Um, And most importantly, how to repair relationships from mistakes that happen um, as just the course of life, right? We all make mistakes and we talk about um, what that repair looks like. And you'll also get to hear what I'm calling my OPD segment. So OPD stands for what do other people do? Um, And I'm going to be asking my guests two simple random questions. And the idea behind that is you get to hear uh, my guest's perspective or their experience with whatever question and then my own. So this is essentially just adding to your parental repertoire of how people do things, right? All right, well, let's get into the second part of the conversation. Enjoy. Very different styles of parenting because of the way my husband was raised and the way that I was raised. And then what we thought was important. Another thing that was extremely important to me was I wanted my children to be internally motivated. So I didn't say, if you do this thing, then you get this piece of candy. So I remember I would say, like, I remember when my, when my daughter was, she was like three, I think. And, and, and I said, we had strawberry ice cream and vanilla ice cream. She loved strawberry ice cream. There was only enough for one scoop of ice cream. So I said, well, we have strawberry or, or vanilla. Which one would you like? And she said, well, I want strawberry. So I gave her the strawberry. Mm-hmm. Then I asked my son, which one do you want? And he, he was, he was just really little. And he said, I want strawberry too. <laughs> you know, and she, she looked and she's like, there's only one scoop. And she said, okay, he can have the strawberry. So she gives him the strawberry mm-hmm. and, um, and he was so happy. And I said, did you see what just happened? I said, mm-hmm. how do you feel in your heart? And I, I put, I had her, I put my hand on my heart. She put her hand yeah. on my heart. She goes, I feel so good. And I said, why? And she said, because I shared. And I said, yes, how does he? She said, he feels so grateful. And I said, yes. And I, and we talked about sacrifice and how, when you make a sacrifice, then there's always something better that comes back when you make a sacrifice. Oh wow! So anyway, we talked a lot. We did that all the time. How do you feel? <laughs> but they would make a right choice. I would say, how do you feel from that right choice when you make that right choice? Now, what if you didn't? And we would role play all the time. What if you didn't make the right choice? Then how would you feel? And, and then what could you do about that? And if they felt sad or unhappy with their, then how can, how can we fix that? You know, what can we do about that? And, and it, it doesn't live forever. You know, we can, you know, and we can, we can make a right choice then. And we can, when we become aware. So we were always, <laughs> we were. That's great. I love the, I love that like vocabulary 
teaching them the vocabulary, like at that young age of just, you know what I mean? Like just sacrifice and what, how do you feel about when you do something good? They did want them to know that they could impact somebody else yeah. by that, especially, you know, in learning to share and, you know, and those kind of social skills. But, um, but I remember I, I had a huge, strong, I mean, like massively strong opinion about not saying good girl or, or good boy or yes. girl or bad boy, or that's bad. I, I mean, that, oh my word. I mean, you know, if you want to get me on a soapbox. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, so share your feelings about that because I, because I feel similar. It's hard because I find it's so easy to do that. Even when you're like passively saying something, because I do think that it's a, from an association perspective, it's like, then that person derives their happy feelings or their proud feelings based on what somebody else is doing. And so I, I I absolutely agree with you in that sense, but I do find it difficult to not just because it's such a default, like just it comes out of your mouth, but seeing somebody walk down the street, how are you doing? Like, you know, it's just very common. So I'm curious, what is, what's your take on it? So, you know, get on your soapbox, so what's your take, and then how did you actually practically manage that? What were some of the alternatives that you used? And given, sounds like your parenting styles were different, like maybe what did your husband do? And, and does it matter? Because some people are of the mindset of, well, as long as there's one parent, because we can't all be the same. Right. So if he was doing something different, do you think that affected it? Yeah. So he knew this was like a massive thing for me because okay. I did not want my child to feel that their self-esteem was based on how they behaved. I wanted them to know that they were of worth regardless they did that they were they were they were they they were worth everything you know and and it was better to make a right choice for your happiness and 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 right you know I mean the con there were consequences for making wrong choices but so I didn't say you did a a good a good I didn't say good choice or bad choice I would say right choice (laughs) and then I would talk about feel about that choice sometimes I didn't even identify what the choice was but I would just say feel about that choice but if they did something that was disobedient I would say okay well, that's a wrong choice because this, what is happening here now? Like it's crying, you know? So you hit the other person. So that's a wrong choice to hit somebody else. And so why is that a wrong choice? And I would always process that with them. But when my kids would go to other places, people would say, good girl, you know, bad girl, you know, or different things. Oh, my hair would stand on the edge of my neck. So I, so I was very, like I did a preschool with my kids because I wanted to have that language (laughs) when they were little, you know, I, I just had, I volunteered and I just had kids come in and we just did a little preschool thing, but I, but I was very conscientious. So I would tell my parents, you know, because they would use those terms sometimes. And I'm no, we don't use those terms. And they thought that was so like extreme on my, but I, but I felt so strongly. And so now my children have told me growing up now they, they understand. I mean, they didn't tell me just now, but I mean, they have, as they were growing up, how instrumental that was that they still, you know, that when they did make mistakes, they still felt that they were worth being loved and that they had worth. And, and that gave them the ability to recognize and to say, it's okay. I made a mistake. I'm going to charter, you know, and I'm going to be, and that was what I wanted. That was why important to me because I didn't want them to think if they made a mistake that to feel that that shame, you know, I felt like shame was debilitating and, and I had felt shame just because I was so sensitive. And, and so I, I just didn't want them to, to grow up with, with the feeling of shame. And, and I felt like shame was used as such a motivator. I saw people all around me, you know, just 
it, like I worked as a waitress <laughs> to, to pay. And I would watch families in the restaurant use shame all the time. And I was just horrified by it. I was like, I can't believe this. And so I always felt like, like these little people that were entrusted to me were were people in a little body. <laughs> yeah, they are. And they are. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like they were, I, I still feel like they're an adult soul in a little body. And so I tried to respect that. And I tried to talk to them. Like people always told me, you talk to your kids like they're adults. <laughs> and I was, well, they kind of are inside there. They're just <laughs> I tried to respect their opinion. I, I wanted to hear their opinion. I remember when my, when my kids got to be, you know, old enough to protest, <laughs> at, you know, too, right. <laughs> Yeah, it's two. They start Starts early, and so I would listen, and I would say, "Well, why do you think that?" And, and my husband would just like roll his eyes, like Karen, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've just got to do it. They have to do it, and I'm like, "Well, I want to know what their thinking process is," and <laughs> because sometimes they had a really great idea, and I said, "You know what? You're right. I should yeah. agree, and I think I should re relook at that, and I will redo it. Or I will change what I'm doing, or whatever." <laughs> and I remember my oldest daughter. I would always say to her that is a brilliant argument. And sometimes I would change, but sometimes I wouldn't. And I would say, and it's going to work great in court, but for right now, you still have to do the dishes. <laughs> you <can turn> the <laughs> yeah. Negotiation skills. Yeah. They, they learn them really. <laughs> yeah, they do. And so, so for me being able to listen and reason and understand, and people would say to me, they would say to me, you don't discipline your kids enough. And I mean, I had a lot of people criticize me for my and because I was in this small community, so there, I mean, people knew each other. And so they'd pull me aside and tell me, your, your children are going to be on drugs. They're going to get pregnant when they're 12. <laughs> oh, wow. Just make up all these extremes. And, and I, and, and, and I hated it. I, I just hated mm -hmm. it. But I was so different in the way that I did things. I remember I used to look at, like, if I was in a public setting with my kids, I would go, like, one, two. Then they knew at three, I was getting up and I was going to go get them. We were going to go out and talk about it. And they did didn't want to do that, but nobody else could see because I'd be like doing it. People behind me couldn't under right and like subtly, yeah, right. Barely disciplined my kids in front of people. I would take them outside, out to another room, out to the car, whatever, and I would, and then we would have, you know, they'd have their consequence. And so people didn't see me disciplined, so they didn't know. <laughs> and I didn't use no very often. I used the word inappropriate. I would say, well, that's inappropriate, and and so I. I just didn't use that word. And so people thought that I was the most permissive parent. It was very strict. And I, I mean, there were consequences. <laughs> and so what were your consequences? Like, so if, if your if your child, you know, I don't know, did something inappropriate or that had, what, what were some of the examples that, or what were some of the things that you did? Well, so because my husband came from more of a corporal punishment thing. So mine was timeout. And so that was what was popular, you know, when I was raising my kids. But I didn't like timeout because I didn't feel like there was any learning going on during time. Yeah. I feel like they were, I felt like really and truly, I feel like timeout is more for the parent to emotionally regulate, for the child to emotionally regulate too. But in my case, it was more for me to emotionally regulate than the child. And this was one of the times I was praying about it. And, and I mean, I prayed a lot. I prayed all the time. I would tell the Lord, you knew these children long before I did. And you need, please help me to know what you would do with the situation. I mean, that was my constant prayer. And so I had any idea that worked well. It was because God told me <laughs> you know, what to do. But I remember he said to me, you know, what did the savior do? And I, and I thought, oh my gosh, the savior said, come to me. And he brought the little children to him and they sat on his lap and he, you know, you see the pictures with his arm around 
things. And I thought, oh, and so the spirit said to me, instead of time out, you need to do time in. And he said, your children to you. And so I was always very affectionate with my children, but I realized I need to do even more of that. And so then when, even when they were emotionally dysregulated, I would say, come here. And I would help them emotionally regulate. For example, were you always regulated though? So like, in, no, did you No, if I, had, if so I, I'm curious, like what, how, cause I mean, I don't know about you, but I get dysregulated and I have a very small audio cup. And so if like, and my, my son just screams all the time and it can get so loud. And then my husband will also get dysregulated because there's just, and especially if you've had a long day of war, like everything kind of comes. And then you just want them to be quiet. <laughs> and so like, what do you do in those situations? And then if you've done like, what's a time where you've done something, maybe that hasn't been the nicest thing or to the time in like what what are those like the under the hood moments and what do you do about them that's why I'm saying I did do time out still even after I had that impression because first of all I I felt like it was important for me to to yeah because there were times that I was emotionally dysregulated because I didn't like yelling and like I said loud noise yeah I, I didn't like that at all and sometimes my kids were they would they would be you know protesting and 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 I, and sometimes I took it personally and I shouldn't, you know, I mean, I, I knew better, but I, but I did, I still did sometimes. And, and because I tried so hard to be fair and because I'm not a yeller and because I, I just, I just thought, well, we're, we all have to pitch in, <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, I mean, I'm working really hard. I need you to help work hard too. We have a lot going on here. And so sometimes when they would do the normal thing, I didn't, I didn't respond, you know, as well. And I remember um, I had postpartum depression and, um, and that was really hard for me. That was really hard for me because I am such an upbeat person. I was just like, what has happened? <laughs> it was, it was confusing. It was really confusing. What were some of the symptoms that you had? So, and how old, like, did you, how, how long did you, so, do you think that you had it? So the, so I went through some real severe health challenges. And so I was depleted physically a lot. <laughs> and so then emotionally I was depleted. And I, I remember I, I was, I was irritable. I was just, I, I just didn't have the same bandwidth. I didn't have the same patience. And I am a very patient person, but there were times when I was not patient at all under the hood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can totally relate. I mean, I, I went to the same cycle. I mean, just sleep deprivation will, you know, I think that that's honestly, I don't think, I don't know how anybody I mean, for me, postpartum was like, it's not the things that you hear about stereotypically, at least for, you know, it's like, oh, how's your mood? Or, you know, are you crying? And yeah, you do because it's when well, you just had a baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think that there's enough ed education around like the, like the breath that it can be. Right. And I think that if, and I, I, I remember you saying in your other interview that your second child was very colicky and you were had a lot of sleep deprivation. We had this very similar story. I mean, he was, he came out screaming. He also had a dairy intolerance. I think your, your, your child had one as well. And that just elongated this very, and we were extremely, one of the most stressful years, like outside of baby, you know, just everything kind of piled at once. And so I don't know how people I think sleep deprivation and postpartum like almost go together. I think, I think, I think postpartum is like another word for sleep deprivation because there's so many things that can happen when you're sleep deprived. Yeah. So how did you deal? 
because that's a that's a real serious thing. I mean, like, and you don't have the bandwidth, you don't have the restorative things that you, and I don't know if you had family around or help or anything. Yeah, that was the thing that was so hard was my family lived in California and my husband's family we're in Arizona, we were in Arizona, right next to his family, but his family, his parents were so much older. And, and I had a lot of health challenges. We lived in a house that was infested with mold and it had stacky bottoms mold. And that makes your lung, your blood vessels in your lungs explode. I mean, it's just horrible. Oh my gosh. And did you know, did you, how did you know, about, how did you discover? Every year I would get pneumonia in the winter and in the summer. And I understood the winter because a lot of people get colds in the winter, but in the, just didn't understand it. And my mom said, you know, I wonder if it's because you close the windows and you have a swamp cooler. And she said, and maybe, you know, you're just exposed to all of the air. She said, I wonder if you have mold in your house. And I said, I don't know. I don't see any. So she came and scraped. She she went around the house and scraped different places of the wood and things and sent it off to a laboratory. And I had every possible mold there was and the stachybotrys. And she was like horrified. So, wow. um, so that damaged my lungs severely. And so I sometimes would be sick for three months at a time with pneumonia and in bed. Oh, wow. Just really hard to take care of my family. And and things. And so I, there were times that I was impatient with my kids and, and I, and I made mistakes and I, and I, one of the things that was really important to me when my kids were very young, very, very young, even before they could talk, I would tell them I was sorry, you know, when I made them and, and people would criticize so me. Important. They would say, why do you do that? You're, you're, your, you know, uh, your authority is being jeopardized because you are the parent, you know, and don't say you're sorry. And I'm like, how else are they going to learn to say they're sorry if they don't hear me say I'm sorry? And so I did go against a lot of very old ways of thinking because of a lot of wisdom. Yeah, really. I mean, it's really, it's a lot. It's, I mean, I know it's probably from internal intuition or, or whatever it was, but it sounds like it served you well. I, I do feel like a lot of it was inspiration. I also felt like, um, you know, a lot of the things I was raised with because you know, my, my dad said he was sorry and, and my parents say it a lot, but, <laughs> but they didn't have to say they were sorry for, but, <laughs> but, but I, I did, you know, I did, I did hear that. And, but I, I felt so strongly about that. And so to this day, I apologize to my kids and I still say, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I, and when they make me aware, I, as an adult child, mm-hmm. I have made my parents aware and, and they didn't like it. <laughs> and I do I don't really like it either, but I have felt that it's so important to validate my children's perspective and some things I have forgotten that I did wrong. And when they tell me, I'm so sad. Like one of the things that recently one of my children said to me was when I became very emotionally dysregulated, like if my husband was really mad at me, especially I remember this and, and I was trying to talk to him and he was escalating, I would leave because I was so scared and I would, I would leave the house. Well, that scared my kids when I did that because they felt abandoned. And, uh, and I was just trying to take time out, you know, to let things, you know, kind of calm down and, but, but that affected them. And so, you know, I, and I am sorry, I was trying to do the very best thing I could rather than, you know, continue, you know, of things, but, but I, but it was a fight or flight response on my part. So I do have a lot of things under the hood. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I think that, you know, just to like reiterate the, the, to say sorry to, to your children. I, I, I also believe in that because I think that it, it does like, I, I, I did this curious parenting course a little while back. And what I really appreciated about it is, you know, in all the parenting books and the parenting advice out there, it's all about how to do X, Y, Z. 
which is great. You can always, you can always like try to shoot for the stars and like aim to do these, but we're all human beings and we all have bad days and we all, you know, you can try and try and try, but you're going to miss, right? We all are, you know, we have, we all have flaws and we're all going to, that's just part of the human experience. So what I really appreciated about that course is the last thing they said, and when you don't do these things, or if you can't do these things, the last thing is like the repair, like, what do you do when, when that happens? And so, yeah, like I've yelled at my kids and that, and then immediately I'm like, oh my God, why, like, why did I do that? Like, and I, and I know it's because like, I was dysregulated and I couldn't like man, you know, they always like, you know, you don't need an adult tantrum when they're having a tantrum, but it's hard sometimes to not throw in your, you know. And, but I appreciate that because I sometimes just, and and saying a sorry when I have said that, right. When, when, I've, cause we, I, I really try to like, okay, no screaming, no yelling. We try to indoor voices kind of that stuff. And, and sometimes I will, I'll, I'll yell, I'll lose my patience. And, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, mom. Yeah. Like I shouldn't have yelled. Like, you know, and they like, you know, like my daughter's now five and she'll give me a hug. She's, That's okay, mommy. Like, you know, and it's, it's just nice because you're modeling what you want to see them and giving them the skill set to be okay with not perfection because I think that that's a really important skill in life to have to not want to be perfect all the time and blame yourself if you're not perfect because I can see that trait coming through in children when they do get when they do something bad or when they do something because they're just testing limits or whatever they almost feel like they're gonna they won't even tell you because because then they'll get they'll get in trouble or they'll you know there's just like if I can't be perfect then I'm bad and I just, I can't stand that. And so, you know, it's, it's nice to know that you, you um, instill that in your children and are modeling that as well. I'm going to tell you another mistake that I made. <laughs> I mean, yes, go ahead, share, please. But I think this might be a common one that, that some people make. And so my husband's family was also, like I said, work, work, work. And, 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 and they, they valued a meticulous house so highly. And my mom <laughs> said, you know, my house is clean enough to be healthy and dirty enough to be happy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. I like that. I like that mantra. <laughs> I did too. And I, and I liked it because it takes time to build those relationships and to listen and to, to hug and to, and to play. I liked my kids and I, but my husband wanted a meticulous house. And I was so mad. I, I couldn't even get there, but he, he wanted it cleaner than it was. <laughs> um, and his brain was very orderly. He was a businessman. He was trying to, you know, resurrect this bankrupt business. I mean, he was yeah. so much stress. And so he was, that was the biggest conflict that we had was I need the house cleaner. Except he didn't say it that way. He just said, can't you house cleaner? And I'm like, oh, you're just, I've got a colicky baby and we're, we're not sleeping. Right. <laughs> I'm doing the best I can. Best I can. So when my, when my, my oldest daughter, she, I relied on her a lot. So because now I have postpartum depression with the next baby and then I have, but she did, she was only two then, but the next baby, she was seven. So she would help me and she would take care of the baby. She would take the baby from me, <laughs> go change the baby's diaper at five in the morning. She was like a little mother. She did the laundry. She helped me cook and she just did. And she also had to do her chores and she had to practice her violin and she had to play the piano and she had to do her homework. <laughs> she had a ton play basketball. She had a ton of things that she had to do, but the expectation to have that house clean was really important. So when my husband would get home, I mean, it was a mad dash. As soon as they got home, it was like, before dad gets home, I remember this caused stress between us and, and she would get angry and my expectations were way too high for her. And I remember my, my girlfriend, the one that I called all the time from college, she said to me, remember, Karen, you want her to want to come home. 
when she grows up, you want her to be with you. And I was like, oh my, I wouldn't want to be with me, (laughs) you know, because I was being much more like my husband. And I realized all of a sudden I had this huge epiphany that I was doing the exact same thing to her that my husband was doing to me. And I, I hated that. I hated that pressure that I felt. And to me, like he said to me one time, what would you do if somebody came to the house right now and there was toys strewn everywhere? He said, well, like, who are they? And so he, he named a friend and he said, you know, from town, and he said, what would you do? And I said, well, are you dead or alive? And he said, well, if you were dead, I would think, ah, what am I going to say? He's going to be so upset that they saw and he goes, well, what would you say if I was dead? I said, I would say, come on, I'm so glad you're here. And he goes, oh, my word. He goes, you're like a normal person. That's so funny. And I probably, don't, I probably don't think like a normal person, but I was just like so happy that somebody would come over that it didn't matter to me. I would just like push the toys. I was just so focused on them. And so I realized I'm not doing that with my own daughter, you know? And so I really had to repent and I, and I had to just, lighten up and how grateful I was for her and whatever she could do. And I still had too high expectations. And that child worked like a dog and she was such a little sage. She would always say, you know, it's okay, mom, you know, I'll take the baby so you can sleep. Cause she knew I was so sick. And yeah, but it's, isn't it amazing how intuitive children can be even at such a young age, because even when I was pregnant with my second my daughter was only three and I had a lot of preterm issues. So I was in bed rest for quite a long time and I couldn't get up and do anything for her except like literally the only thing I could do was like read a story because she'd come, she could come into the, into the bed. But even after like, she'd be like, it's okay, mommy. Like you don't need to bend over. You don't need to do. And, and she's three years old, like, you know, or four years old. And, and, and I, I think temperament, of children are very different, but there is an old soul in, in, in these children. And if you, if you give them the opportunities, they will really surprise you of what they're really capable of doing. And so it, it's like you said, like a little adult in, the, in, a, in a person. <laughs> and all four of my children, extremely capable and very, like my two daughters are very nurturing of the your brother and their little mothers and and so and are they still to and are, are they still like that to this because it's so like I, we're obviously in different seas I can relate to, to so much of your life story and I'm curious just as you know of one experience so you had this experience of when your uh, children were young and you could see this mother is that the same as they grew up like did they or did they change and did they still have their same relationships or I'm just curious well they've had some ups and downs you know in and, uh, you know, being married and things, but, but growing up and, you know, even as teenagers, they were very close. And I remember I was just talking to my, my son about this. And, and I said, you know, when they were young and they would have a conflict. So I had, I had one of each personality. One was like my husband, one was like me. And the other one was like, that was like me. And so it was interesting because I could look at the dynamic in the conversation. I see that. I, I know what's going on here, you know, and I would say, okay, you guys have to sit together and and you have to hold hands. And, and, and and sometimes I didn't know what had happened because I would just walk in something and they'd be like, he did, she did, or what? Right, right. I didn't know (laughs) how to solve the problem. So I would say, okay, you have to, you can only say what you did. You can't say you, 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 you can only say, I, you can say, I did this. What can you take responsibility for? 
And they would just hate that. They would be like, but she did this and he did that. La, la, la. And I'd say, I didn't see it. I don't know. So I can't help you. I said, you guys have to figure out how to solve it. And so I would help them. Like I would say, well, what she's trying to say to you is this. And what he's trying to say to you is that. Like if they couldn't figure out, if they were so escalated that they couldn't do it. But I told them all the time, this is practice for marriage. Because when you're with, you know, your husband or your wife, you're going to have problems and you're going to communicate about it. And you have to learn how to take responsibility for what your part is. And then the other person takes responsibility for what they did. But you can't control that. You can only control you. We worked on those skills a lot, but but we also didn't, like we didn't go on vacation with other families. And, and I always told my kids, you're going to be with each other forever. Your friends will come and go, but, but your, your family are your best friends. And we aren't always the best of friends. Sometimes we run and get at each other and we have hard feelings. But for the most part, they were very close. And people have asked me that all the time. How come your kids are so close? And I think also because we had a lot of, um, we had a lot of trials, you know. So I think that we bonded with each other. And as siblings, they relied on each other, you know, a lot. And so sometimes the outside storm can actually bring closeness aside. And even though as painful as it was, and I would never wish it on anyone, <laughs> there were some, there were some blessings, you know, that came out. of. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I think that sometimes trials and tribulations and challenges can, can be long lasting. And you think that, you know, it's going to be there forever. And then one day it just turns and I, I speak from personal experience, you know, it's just a long, you know, you think that you're in a situation like this is never going to change and this is always going to be like, and then something turns and then all of a sudden all that kind of stuff goes away and kind of gets erased in the background. Because I think for me, um, and I don't know if this is an HSP trade or not, but it just takes one good thing to erase a whole bunch of bad stuff. <laughs> so. I love that. I'm, I just absolutely love that because it can shift so quick and it's like, it's just forgotten, you know? Yeah. Joy can be so, like you said, it can be so full that it's like, yeah. hey, you know, it's okay. You went through. And I think that, you know, I heard you say when you had your first daughter that she taught you what joy was like. Yes. And I, you know, cause I think the love of a child, at least for me, was, it's just such a different, it's, I never experienced that type of love from like family, from spouse, from, it's just a completely, totally, totally different thing. And, and I did grow up in a very different maybe like a little bit more of a disconnected relationship with my parents. And so when you have somebody and who's got such a little old soul, like, you know, as they grow older, it, it really is such a wondrous thing. And there are, I mean, it is hard to be a parent. Like I'm not going to sugarcoat it. <laughs> not easy, but those moments that you just see, like they're exponentially bigger to me than maybe somebody else. Like I could, she could just be sitting, you know, on the floor drawing a picture. I'm like, oh, it's so beautiful. Like, you know, <laughs> I know. I think that appreciation is deeper in when you're an HSP because you you do feel those things and you see things. You kind of notice those things. And and I I did. I felt from the moment that I conceived with her, I I I had never known that kind of joy before I felt her, her soul with me and all of my children, you know, before they were born and I felt their personalities, you know, what they were going to be like. And, and I, I would write those things down. So they, they knew that. You know, yeah. I have a journal like yeah. that. So I can share with them. <laughs> because I, I did, I felt very connected. I felt very connected long before I conceived my children. Mm -hmm. I, 
they were my greatest motivator because as a teenager, I remember thinking, I want to be the very best person that I can be. I want to be, I want to be the best mom. I want to be the best wife. I want to be, not that I could, like, not that I was, but like you said, I was for the stars. I was trying to be the very best I could be because I wanted them to come to a home where they knew that they were loved and wanted and cherished. And so, so I had a lot of, <laughs> I mean, my, I worked so hard on not getting my feelings hurt. I, I'll tell you this little story because yeah, this is one of those under the hood moments. But <laughs> so when my when my husband and I would have an argument, and and he would you know have these strong reactions, I I my brain would go blank. I mean, I honestly was just like blank, like nothing's in there. And he thought that I was giving him the the cold silent. He would say, "I hate it when you give me the silent treatment," and I would say, "There's nothing in there." I mean, and he's like, "What do you mean?" Because his brain was just full of all these little comments that would come to his mind nothing came to mind. And, and it was a trauma response on my part. And so, so he would, he would just try and he wanted to solve it. He wanted to hurry up and solve the problem. And me, I was like, let's take a break and calm down and then back to it, you know? And he was like, no, <laughs> that's terrible. And, and that scared him to take a break because his family, they did the cold thing and they didn't talk to each other for a long time. And so he, he didn't like that. That was a trigger for him. These two things going on. So when so when my first daughter was born and, and she would get her feelings hurt or something like, like her brother would hurt her feelings or else hurt her feelings, it would, I would tell her, or if I hurt her feelings, you know, I would tell her, hey, you need to, you need to talk to mom and we need to resolve it quickly. And, and sometimes she would pout and I would say, pouting has to go to timeout <laughs> because that was what I used mostly it was time. And, and so, so the, the rule was that you had to, to work through it because I felt that that was better. I felt like if it was in a de-escalated state, that was better, you know, to work through it quickly. And, and I didn't like the way my brain would go blank. I, I, it bothered me that, that I couldn't think of anything to say. And sometimes I would just say, okay, I see the clouds. I was just like trying to think of something to say because my brain was totally, utterly blank. I remember one time my husband and I were in a car ride. We lived about three and a half hours from the nearest big town. So we would have to go there for shopping or for the big doctor or the hospital or something like that. So we were on this long car ride and, and my, my husband and I had an argument in the car and I blank and I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> my little daughter, she's like, I don't know, three and a half, four she pipes up from the back seat. She goes, mom, remember the rule is you have to forgive quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, goodness, I've got to be a better example to her. I have got to learn how to forgive quicker. I have got to learn how to, to get over this, yeah. this escalated state. And so I worked like a dog to forgive quickly. And now, well, and even before now, but, but now it's really fun is my husband and I'll have a, an argument or something and he'll say, look how fast we resolved that. That's so, so what, what's like a tip for somebody? Because I think, because sometimes people are in a very long, prolonged deregulated state, depending on what happens and depending on where they are in their, let's say life journey. Yeah. And so what's something that helped you? I mean, I, because I know it's not just one thing, it's it's a lot of work, but I'm curious, like, wh- or where did you start with trying to resolve things maybe in a quicker way? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, there's lots of things, like you said, there's so many different things that I would recommend, but well, one of the things that, that I really, that I really tried to do, I didn't, I, they didn't have nonviolent communication back then, but what I really tried to do, and I prayed, I mean, I prayed all the time, I would say, 
because as soon as my brain would go blank, I would start praying and I'd be like, okay, what just happened? And I would ask the Lord, what is happening here? I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand why they're having that reaction. That reaction is so extreme to me. I don't know what is happening. What's happening in their brain over there? And I would ask for help. And I would say, and then sometimes I feel like they were the enemy. I felt like, like they had just crossed over into enemy territory. <laughs> so I would have to say, okay, they're not the enemy. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Going, we're on the same team. Yeah. We're on the same team. Something's going on over there that I don't understand. They feel like I'm the enemy actually right now. So why do they think I'm the enemy? And so I would pray about this and I would ask the Lord, please help me to see them the way you see them. If I felt like they were the enemy. And if I felt like they thought I was the enemy, I would say, please help me to show them that I'm not the enemy. And so touch was really important. My husband told me that for years. He would say, you, you were so good with touch. He said, if you could just come give me a hug. But I would be so scared when he would have these strong reactions. Last thing I thought of, it never crossed my mind. And if it did cross my mind, which was fair, I was going to do it because I, because I wasn't used to being around somebody that had that strong of a reaction. But when I did, I would immediately things would change. And then he could talk about it. He would deescalate, you know, immediately. And so for me, it, those were two of the very basic first things that I did in those situations. And, but, but it all, it, <laughs> I couldn't even remember to pray at first. I, I had to deescalate somewhat. And so I always had to take some kind of a timeout and I had to teach my husband that. And, and I had to say, I'm sorry. I just have to have just a little space. I just, I just, have I need to have some quiet and and so he learned to be okay with that and that that was scary for him but he had to it's okay she's you know gonna she's gonna be she's gonna come talk to me because I did I always did and I and I needed to talk to him and I would tell him I need to talk about it I just can't right now and it's just too but that took an that took a de-escalated state to be able to communicate that so I would communicate that in advance before we had the next problem <laughs> yeah that's I mean I think that's key right it's like to not talk about that stuff when you're in a dysregulated so because you really don't have yeah. your full brain capacity at that moment and that was something I felt a lot of shame about was why couldn't I remember those things when I was escalated and then I learned well that's what happens because you because you really because you physically can't actually yeah access that isn't that an interesting thing I mean the brain is such an interesting thing I mean I could have like a whole a whole day topic about just all the stuff related to everything, really parenting, emotions, relationships. Like it's just when you get in your triggered response or when you're in like a really like not, you're not fully regulated, really. You just, you, you'll go with your default status. It takes a lot of work and pre-planning it is very helpful. Journaling. I journaled a lot. You know, I would, I would journal about what just happened and I recognize the patterns and I would say, okay, there's the part. <laughs> so I, I often describe my, my journey to learn to emotionally regulate and to learn to do that in relationship conflict as potty training. <laughs> I, I wasn't aware, you know, I was sometimes unaware that it was, I was so triggered. I didn't even know what was happening. And then I would start to be aware after the fact. And so just like, you know, the child that has the accident, oh, so when I see what's going on here, you know, That's a, you know, I have never heard that analogy, but it's a really good analogy because it's very similar. It was totally me. And I, and then sometimes I would like when I finally did become aware and I would think about it, but I wasn't able to do it, you know, in the time 
like in the right timing. And I finally did it in the right time. And I was so excited. I was like, I made it. yeah, it reminded me a lot of potty training myself. I love that. I love that. But it was, it was not about myself. I mean, my, you know, like, how did I do these things? It, it, it really was working on myself because I would see the deficiency in myself. And, and my first goal was to, my greatest desire was to not pass on my weaknesses to my children, which I did. Yeah. <laughs> but I tried. I think that's, an, you know, and it's interesting you say that because I think as a parent myself going through, like, again, my children are very young and I've gone through such a learning. Like I, I really do love learning. And now with this day, you could Google anything and re- and you can really go into a deep level of research. It's not just at the superficial level. I kind of go deep. And so I've learned all these things and you want to be able to put them in practice and in play because you're trying to either prevent something that maybe you experienced as a child yourself or you're self-aware things in yourself that you're like, oh, this is not a really good trait. I don't want to pass it down. But I think I'm slowly recognizing that even if you just do a little bit less than what you maybe accumulated or inherited then that's better than like status quo and to not try to achieve perfection. Because I think that that you can get almost caught up in that of wanting to put everything into practice, which then you're, then you'll go through the cycle of guilt and shame. Like, oh, I should be doing better. And they're going to grow up to be like, I'm passing down all these like crazy things. And the reality is, yes, that's just part of the human experience. They're going to, and if they don't, that they're not going to be, I think, a full human because I think you have to experience both dark and lightness to see any sort of contrast. And so we just try to do our best and any amount of learning yeah. and any amount of practice, hopefully we'll get passed down to some degree. And I remember I had, I, I really struggled with that at one point. And when my kids were younger and I remember I had this, this, it was an answer to prayer. I had this vision of, um, of myself running in a, in a track race and they pass the baton to the next team and then that team goes on. And, and, and the spirit said to me, you know, I didn't know my great grandma very well because she died when I was young and my dad's parents died when I was young, but, but my mom's mom, I knew her very well. And, and, and so I was interviewing, you know, people about, and so the Lord said to me, your grandma did the best she could. And, and she passed the baton off to your mom and your mom and dad did the best they could. And they passed the baton to you. And now you do the best you can. And it's not going to be perfect. And your kids are going to have scars, you know, for mistakes that you need. And, and I'll take care of those. You say you're sorry. <laughs> you do, do. And I'll help them. And, and it'll be a journey for them. And, and then they'll pass the baton off. And that's the best you can do. And I was like, Oh, and so that gave me hope. And so now when I have grandchildren, it's so interesting because I watch my kids incorporate the strengths. Sometimes they don't even know that they learned them from me. <laughs> Great little theory that they have. But it's but it's so sweet too when my grandkids come to me and they'll like like I have a song. My mom wrote a song and we used to sing it at different gatherings. And now and then I sing it with my family. And now my kids sing it you know, at their gatherings. But one thing they do do is the lullabies. Like I sing, you know, we were talking about fairy tales and Cinderella was my favorite fairy tale. And so I always sing my kids the song, A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes. And and they sing that to their kids. Oh, <laughs> that's so sweet. And, and that message, you know, is so important that, you know, that the Lord does bless us with the desires of our heart and that those things do guide us. And what is it? That is the greatest desire of your heart. And the greatest desire of my heart was, was to have happy family, you know, and 
and to be able to help my kids to know that they were so loved and, and that they were so important to me. And so we did, you know, my husband and I made lots of mistakes, but we worked, <laughs> we kept, you know, we kept trying and, and in, in the midst of all the mess, we kept trying. <laughs> That's really sweet too. And I can see you emotional about it because I think it's so dear to your heart. You know, I think it's great to see it full circle too. What a wonderful gift that you've been given to see your grandchildren. And that's, that's beautiful. And And just so it is not sugarcoated, (laughs) my children are working through their scars, you know, and and I'm helping them the best I can. And, you know, they're, they're having counseling. And so, and that's, and that's a beautiful thing to me too, that I can't, I couldn't fix everything. And I, and I did make mistakes. My husband made mistakes and, and, and now my, my kids are trying to be better and, you know, they're trying to improve. And, and I, as I, as I see them going through some of those hard patches and some of those things they're still not aware of, I see that this is their journey. You know, that I had my journey to overcome the scars that I had, that they have their journey too. And to trust that, that just, just as it has evolved and, and I'm I'm still working on it. My husband. Yeah, it never, it never sort of finishes. And I think that that's a wonderful place to wrap this because I've, you know, we're we're all on our journey. And then each year that passes by, you know, I'm coming up on like my fourth decade and just seeing you almost have to go through these things because they all lead up to the next thing and the next thing. And really, I mean, that's why the wisdom comes with just experience, whether it's good, bad, ugly, whatever it is, it really does sort of all pile on. So it it really is, I think, even, even the awareness of knowing that, hey, mistakes are actually part of the journey rather than trying, because I've spent a lot of times trying to avoid mistakes and trying to be like perfect and trying to get it right and being mad if, it, if we're not doing things and getting like, you know, shooting an eye to my husband, like you shouldn't have done that. But it's, well, that's kind of, I think that's part of the the wisdom that comes along as you age and like, as you experience things. So when it's, when, a, when, you know, when a younger person comes up and it's like, what's your best advice of like X, Y, Z reality is I'm like, well, I can give you what I experienced myself but I feel you have to almost go through your own path to, to discover your, you know, wherever your life is going to take you. So I think it's beautiful that you were able to pass, you know, do your best with your children, see them do their best with their children. And, you know, the baton gets passed. Like, you know, it's such a sweet thing. And, and I, I often tell my children, I, I remind them, this life is a workshop. That's what we're here to practice and to learn. And that's how we learn is, is by I mean, we learn a lot through mistakes and, and I don't want to do that thing, you know, and I, I want to, I want to feel this happier feeling by doing this other thing, you know? And so I, I do think that that perspective is such a, it's just such a, a whole brain perspective, you know, that helps to remove that, that shame that can come when we, especially when we're highly sensitive and when we're such high and lofty goals, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So Karen, this was such a great conversation. I, I feel like I like we're kindred spirits. I, I I could relate to so much of your life experience and we're different seasons of life, but it's, you know, I think that's what's so powerful is like even in different seasons of life, we can all connect with one another and relate and like hear stories. So tell us about where people can find you and you have a podcast, you're writing a book. Tell it, tell everybody where, yeah, where we can find you. Well, thank you. So my podcast is The Hero Within because I believe we all have a hero within with the inner wisdom that if we just are quiet and we listen and, and the Lord will reveal things to us too, that, 
that we can learn what we need to learn for ourselves to help us in our in our journey. And and I love to hear about people's stories about how they've navigated <laughs> these difficult life. And I'm still learning, you know, so I love to learn from people. And, and so that's on Apple, Spotify, wherever, you know, you want to listen to a podcast. And, and my website is www.karenhallcoaching.com because I'm a life coach. And so, so I do life coaching as well. And we'll put all this up in the show notes. So we'll provide the links to, and your social media. And are you, can we, can we find you on Facebook or Instagram? You can find me on Facebook and Instagram. Facebook is Karen Olson Halls. And then my Instagram is the hero within podcast. And so. Yeah, I'll give you all the links, but it's been a joy to talk to you. Obviously, I'm getting emotional because you brought up so many sweet memories. And, uh, and so it was, it was a joy to talk to you. And I do feel like we're kindred spirits. I feel like we could just go to lunch and just talk, 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 talk. talk. I know. I, 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 well, I would love to have you back on the podcast. I think you're just, your energy, your spirit, just your life experience has been, again, like just the iceberg. I think we've hit just the iceberg and your full experience. So yeah, I would love to have you back on. If, and then- one thing that I wanted to introduce into season two, because you're my first guest on season two, which is awesome, is I in kind of we've alluded to this, but part of this podcast is really intended to help people connect, either just by hearing other people's stories. So I have like a list of questions that I'm asking all my guests, and the guests can pick two random questions, and then you'll hear uh, my guests' answers and my answers, and it could be as simple, sim- something as silly as like where do you buy your children's clothes to a, you know, maybe more serious of like, what's the worst thing you've seen in your relationship or, you know, whatever. So, so I wanted to, this is what I would refer to as my OPD segment, which is what do other people do? We'll keep something, we'll keep some of this lighthearted. So question number one is what time do your kids go to bed and what time do they wake up? What's their routine like? And this could be at any age because I know your your kids are now married, you know, married. <laughs> so, I, so my kids, when they were young, they went to bed around 8:30, you know, sometime uh, around then. And and I would go and cuddle with them at bedtime because I felt very strongly that the first five minutes of a day and the, the like first five minutes before when they woke up and five minutes before they left for school and the first five minutes when they got home and the first five minutes before they went to bed. I felt like those were vital reading, connecting, connecting moments. They were, they were, and, and so before they went to bed, I wanted to hear what was the best part of their day. We talked about it around the dinner table and things to have one-on-one time. And, and that was, that was like sacred time. You know, I'd go from child child <laughs> doing that so were they in the same room did you give them each? Some, some were in the same room but but some were not and so like when so I would just but I would just whoever they were sometimes I would lay with two on one on each shoulder <laughs> you know, perfect. but but yeah so I I that was that was something that I started I mean just I nursed my babies to sleep I rocked my babies to sleep I loved I loved the cuddling I I love touch and so I was it's very important to me and connection is extremely important to me and so yeah, so that was that was our bedtime thing, and drove my husband nuts. <laughs> He's like, oh, "You just say good night and go to bed," <laughs> but that's not the way I did it. <laughs> I love that. So my our routine right now is so my kids are two and five. We just moved them into a few months ago into the same room, and so we read them a bedtime story. They each get to pick a book. We're really into like instilling reading and and all that kind of stuff. And so it used to be. They were in separate rooms and we'd each read like two books each. And now with them together, it's like a little bit of a prolonged period, but it gives them some independence because they get to pick their own, their own little book from their little library. 
and they go to bed around, oh gosh, like they come home at six. So like between 7.30 and eight, depends on the day. And, and it's sweet because when they first got put together, they were definitely, it, it's sweet and also slightly frustrating because they're playing for so long. <laughs> My son's still in a crib. We haven't, I don't know what it's going to be like when they're, when he's able to get out of bed, but so that's a routine, like brushing teeth, getting in pajamas, reading a book. And it, I feel like we do that every day. So it's nice to actually have a very, we're very structured and we've always been very structured with their bedtime routine and it's helped because when you travel, it's like really easy to like get them to bed. So that's what we do. I forgot to say the routine. We did that kind of stuff too. And you know, the bath time and that kind of thing. And then we read stories and I read, I would read scriptures with them and then we would, we put together. I would always help them with their, their prayers before they went to bed. So <laughs> then we about their best time at their first time of the day. <laughs> it's yeah, that's a great, that's a great. So how long did it actually take the whole thing from like morning was like an hour? Cause I feel like some people are like, it takes me. 30 minutes or an hour. And I'm like, well, that's about, that's about how long it takes me. Yeah, the time that we finished dinner and, and to brush the teeth and read the story and take the bath. I mean, it was about an hour. I mean, at least 45 minutes because I, because we, we would talk so much, you know, the part took a long, long time. Maybe we bathed really fast and brush our teeth really fast. <laughs> you know, I mean, the story, yeah, it takes a little while, but it was the talking part. <laughs> so yeah, that, those are sweet memories. My kids even bring those up to this day, you know, and now they, they do that with their kids. So <laughs> that's sweet. All right. Question number two, we're going to make this an easy one. Um, what was flying in an airplane like with your kids? And at what age did they fly? So my kids flew right away, like when they were before they were a year old, because my family lived several states away. So we would go and visit my family at, at least once a year for Christmas or in the summer, we would sometimes twice a year. So they flew real young. <laughs> And, and and it was just like a 16 hour car drive. So it was just kind of hard. We did make long car drives too. But so in the airplane, we didn't have Kindles or iPads or any of that kind of stuff, you know, back then. So it's like, what are we going to do? And sometimes when my, when my youngest was, let's see, my, my third child was turning three and my youngest was a, a couple of weeks old, we flew to Chile. So we flew all the country to Santiago, Chile. And um, that was a really, really long, that really taxed my creativity. So yeah, <laughs> a bag with all these things, like they used to have these little coloring books that you would put the paintbrush in water and then it would turn. Now they use markers and they, and it turns on the page. But so I would have that. I would have Play-Doh. I would have puppets, lots of puppets. And, and we, you know, when we would sing Old McDonald had to farm, I had a puppet for every little animal and we would, um, I mean, of course we had snacks, <laughs> but we had books and we had, I had little musical instruments. Like I had a kazoo that we used to play. Oh man, you got really creative. I love it. I didn't do very noisy things, you know, but, but in, especially on the long flight, you know, sometimes we could, around, but, but yeah, so we, we did a lot of <laughs> creative things. I remember when it was dark, I had a little pin light that they have those little laser lights, but then they could shine it on, you know, I'd say we play, I spy all the time, you know, I spy a Something that starts with that, you know, we played those games a lot, but we, sometimes we would use the little, the little laser pointer to just point on something like my shoe or, you know, something easy, but yeah, it was it. some of those trips were very challenging trying to occupy little ones for, for that long. Yeah. Yeah. 
Especially now, I think, so for me, my, my, my two-year-old has actually not been on an airplane yet. We're like true COVID baby. Like we haven't done a ton, honestly. We're taking him for his first trip next month, actually. So we'll see how that goes. For my, for my oldest, similarly, we, when she was less than a year, I think we went on like five long haul flights. Like she was, she had like five stamps in her passport by the time she was one years old. And um, she was just a good traveler. Like she was a very, we we actually tried to, I think my one tip was, would be that um, she had a, a reasonably, like a, a reasonable expectation of a schedule. So we would try, if possible, if it was an overseas flight, we would try to make it such that she would sleep, she could sleep overnight. And so there's a, uh, when she was under one, she'd fit in a little bassinet. There's one, there's one row of seats in the airplane that you can actually like hook a bassinet to, which I didn't even know existed. And so she slept, so she slept in a lap for a lot, but then when she actually fell asleep, we were able to put her in the little bassinet. And she was honestly, she was just such a, thankfully she was such a good traveler and didn't scream or cry that much. And when she was, I, I feel like traveling when they're really young is almost easier than when they're two or like in their, you know, they can run around and they, they need to get their energy out and stuff. But uh, yeah, like same thing, like books and quality time with them, like reading, reading stories and games is like all I could, all I could manage to do at that time. <laughs> so I remember we had those magnetic checkers, you know, and we would. Yes, I did buy those actually. <laughs> remember playing Uno, you know, we would have the Uno cards and, and little things, but yeah, we would just, I mean, just because their attention span is so short. Oh yeah. <laughs> they need a lot of variety. A lot of variety. <laughs> <laughs> well, Karen, thank you so much. This was so wonderful. I really appreciate you taking the time and I can't wait to connect with you at a later point in time. Thank you. Thank you for the joy you brought to me. Thanks, Karen. Hey, we'll see you. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. Part two is a wrap, which brings our first guest episode to a conclusion. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this as much as I did having that conversation. I learned a lot from Karen and took away several important details. And so here are my takeaways. Number one, HSPs feel deeper and stronger than your typical counterpart. They experience both joy and sadness from their core, and that means it can affect their whole well-being. So self-care is essential. And that's gonna look different for every single person. It might be as simple as a walk outside to calm your mind or a timeout or a move to a different room when there's a situation going on. Either way, recognizing your trigger points and being aware of them is the first step. And practicing self-care and how to manage difficult situations so that you're prepared before they even happen is key. Number two. Everybody has challenges. Each family goes through ups and downs, and that's just a part of life. The repair part is really paramount to move through these feelings of hurt and pain that may have been caused. Apologizing to our kids does not make us weak. It shows our kids that making mistakes doesn't make us good or bad. It makes us human. And apologizing and repairing that is also a part of life. Number three. When you're in a dysregulated state of mind, it's really hard to access your rational state of being. Karen journaled a lot, which allowed her to get self-aware and learn her own patterns. I also do this, and I think it's an important step to look internally at your own triggers to help your relationships. And I love the way that she analogized it to potty training. Getting aware before you wet your pants is key. And that doesn't happen overnight. It takes practice and a lot of washing. And I can say this because we're in the middle of potty training for real and it is not easy. 
And last but not least, and maybe the most important, is she wanted her kids to be internally motivated. She didn't want her language to affect her kids' self-worth. In her family, that looked like removing the words good boy or bad boy and replacing it with right choice or wrong choice. However that looks like in your family, teaching your kids that behavior isn't tied to their self-worth is crucial and that when they make mistakes, it doesn't make them a good or bad person. That's it for now. Don't forget to subscribe and rate and review the show. Join the private Facebook group, Parents Connecting, and follow me on Instagram at rashida.parentsconnecting. And if you like this episode, please share the episode with a friend. And until next time, happy connecting.